if you will, let's turn together in Deuteronomy chapter 34. Uh, children will be dismissed with Children's Church at this time. And let the nations be glad. And let us be glad today that we are in Deuteronomy chapter 34. And we are finishing out our journey through this book today. It has been a time of toil through this book and good work through this book. And we have worked together. When we finish today, Piney Grove, we would have finished working through the Torah, the first five books of our Old Testament. And so that is an accomplishment in and of itself. We have worked together through it. We have had patience through it. Today, my hope is that we will finish through this book. It has been fruitful and it has been eye-opening. If you remember when we first set chart in Deuteronomy chapter 1, you remember the subtitle, Deuteronomy. It's God's Word too. It is based upon the relevancy of all Scripture being the inerrant and infallible, trustworthy Word of God. Deuteronomy is just as important in the canon of Scripture as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so it is God's Word too in all of its relevancy and all of its inerrancy and infallibility and in authority in our lives. I want to challenge you today as we look at these last moments in Moses' life, I will ask you to set forth this day to finish well. In fact, if I had to put a sermon title to this particular sermon, I would call it Finish Well. Finish well. The goal is in front of us. For many of us, to finish well means that there is a goalpost ahead, a finish line. For many here today, if it, goes, if it goes well with you and your health, and you have longevity in health, the finish line for you may be far off into the future. For others, you might be able to read the print on that tape of the finish line, the goal before you. You're so close to that goal that you can read the tape. And on that finish line, it says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And no matter where we are on the finish line, our goal is Jesus. Amen? I want to finish well. I want you to finish well. Jesus wants us to finish well. So with our Bibles in hand, I'll ask you, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. And let's pray that we will finish this discourse well. I'll be reading from verses 1 through 12. We'll finish out the book together. Deuteronomy 34 verse 1 says, Then Moses went up, from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite of Jericho. 
And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and Naphtali, and the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh, and all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. Then the Gab and the plain, that is the valley of Jericho, the city, palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give you this to your offspring. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley, in the land Moab, opposite of Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial, even to this day. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel, they wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and they did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there, was not, there has not arisen a prophet since... In Israel, like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all the servants and to all of his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that the Lord did in the sight of Israel. Lord, we pray for this reading today. May we draw uh, from it. Lord, may we have peace in Jesus today, and I pray as we run this race, in the words of the Apostle Paul, let us finish this race. Let us run it well. Father, I have run the race. At the end of the day, Father, I pray that we would be able to say, Lord, thank you for helping me to finish well. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, as I mentioned, uh, we started this venture probably five or six years ago really in working from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy all the way through the Torah and I made a promise to the Lord, Lord if you will give me longevity in ministry I want to preach through all of your word, all of the Bible. This is the high moment in the Torah, this is the moment when Moses dies in verse 5. This is a highlight in the Torah and also a low point for Israel. Joshua not only picks up the quills to finish writing where Moses left off, but he also picks up the mantle as Israel's next leader. Joshua has been groomed by Moses and the elders most of his life. He has heard what has happened. He has seen it with his own eyes as being one of the two who were allowed to go in the, pre uh, the promised land because of their obedience to God. So he has been groomed, he has been fashioned, he has been discipled, if we can use that word, by Moses and, and the elders most of his life. And, but there is an undercurrent in the Bible, an undercurrent from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And that undercurrent in the Bible is the passing on of what you have learned to others. The passing on of what you have learned to others and walking with them as you do so. So let's rewind. Let's recap. Last week we left off at verse 25, midway point in this song of Moses. This is the song that Moses writes out to display the character nature of God. 
And the question was, is he worthy to be praised? Is he worthy of our worship? And the church said, amen, he is. And he will righteously judge sin, evil, wickedness, and everything that affects the fall will be reversed in the name of Jesus. His own people in this song will turn their back on God. They will chase after other things. They will chase after idols. Sadly, God will implement drastic measures to turn them back to himself. We spoke about this last week, the spiritual woodshed, where sometimes God takes us behind that for a, a spanking of sorts to bring us back into right relationship with Him. We left off in verse 25, chapter 32, so let's review a little bit. Let's catch up to where we need to be, beginning with verse 26. I'm going to walk through you with this. So Moses continues speaking of God's displeasure when His people chased after other things, other idols, and they... They, de they desired other idols and other things when God desires for them to come unto Him. Come unto Him. As Jesus says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Come unto me. This is God's desire for us to be near to Him. There is no explanation in Israel's history other than God was with them. If you were to travel through Israel's history, even from Genesis to where we are in Deuteronomy, you will find that God has given the victory over His people. There's no other explanation other than that God was with them. How could it be that there would be two people that would put 10,000 to flight and get the victory over, enemy, over the enemy? None but God, right? When Israel was the underdog, God gave them the victory, but they had to draw near to him and do what he said to him. The pointed point to remember with the song of Moses, once he recited this song, what did he do? Once he established this song and recited this song, what did he do? In verse 44 of chapter 32, Moses came and he recited all of these words of the song in the hearing of the people. And then what did he do? He went to Joshua, made sure that the one he was discipling knew this song. He goes to him and he makes sure he understands. The beauty of the song is this, that there is a promise of salvation, not only to Hebrew people, not only to Israel, but to the Gentile peoples, all the peoples of the earth. Moses finishes this song. He encourages the people to obey. God calls him up to the mount so that he might see the good land and then die. We find it at the very end of chapter 32. Now, when we look at chapter 33, there is this pronouncing of blessing. There's a blessing as Moses looks out and there's a blessing of the tribes of, within Israel. To be specific, he gives blessings to Reuben, to Judah, to Levi, to Benjamin, to Joseph, to Zebulun, to Gad, to Dan, to Naphtali, to Asher, and then to all of Israel. Once this is done, 
Moses, at 120 years old, whose eyes had not grown dim and was still life in him, he climbed up the craggy rocks of Mount Moab and said these words, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. The shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. Your enemies shall come fawning to you and you will tread upon their backs. And so Moses, as he pronounced this blessing, now he is ready to accept the future. He is now ready to accept what God had foretold, that he would not enter in. But you know God is a merciful God. Do you believe that? God is full of mercy. He allows Moses to see this. And as he looks out, I don't know the mind of Moses, but I would imagine that he could see somehow the future of Israel over there. That leads me to ask you this. Do you care about the future? Do you care about the future of Piney Grove? Do you care about the future of the kingdom of Christ? Do you care what will happen when you're in the grave and dead and gone? Will you, will you care what will happen in this generation that follows up? behind us, and we saw some pictures just a while ago, different generations, a multitude of different generations following and serving the Lord. And in that, and in that I, see, I see the future. I see the future, not only of Piney Grove, but the kingdom of God. Do you care about the future? Now, we would all say emphatically, as we answer that question, we would answer that with a statement of absolution, wouldn't we? Yes! I care about the future. Who would say, well, I really don't care. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. We would say, yes, I care about the future of, of the church of the kingdom of God. Did Moses care for the future of his people? Yes. Moses cared for the future of his people much like his forefather, Abraham. Abraham cared for the future of his people when he pleaded to the Lord for any righteous people found in Sodom and Gomorrah. He pleaded, let me just find ten righteous in the city. But was there ten righteous in the city? No. Abraham pleaded to God. So Moses now, he loves his people. He wanted them to enter into the promised land even though he himself would not enter in. And here God gives them a glimpse. He lets them see it. That's the God we serve. He is loving. He's caring. He is merciful. Even when we mess up. Even though Moses didn't trust God at one point in his life as he struck the rock and the the valley of, of Zen or sin and water come from the rock from his own staff and was angered and God still let Moses see. Look with me in verse 1. Moses went up to the plains of Moab, Mount Nebo, the top of Pishkah, which is opposite of Jericho. The Lord showed him. He looked over. He looked over there in Gilead as far as Dan. The Lord showed Moses all that he would be missing. But the point is not to rub it in his face and to say, you could have all of this. If you hadn't slipped up, Moses. It wasn't to say, look, look what you'll be missing. But was to demonstrate that it 
is the Lord who will fulfill this great promise and not Moses. It also demonstrates that God is going to protect his people even when Moses is gone. God is going to protect his people. Same can be said for John on the Isle of Patmos. This roaming, this Rome uh, mining community that the Lord gave John, we call him John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos, gave him the revelation of Jesus. This is what, this is what will happen. This is what to come. The outline of Revelation ends is what is to come. So John is allowed to see this by the Holy Spirit. And God let John the Revelator see this in Revelation 21, verse 20. The Bible says, and he, that is John, was, uh, John was carried away in the Spirit to a great high mountain. And God showed him a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now John will not see this in this full display. But God gave him a glimpse of what was to come. God showed what was to come with the promise that he will see it through. Even, even if you're not here. Even if you're not there. Moses is, is shown all the land that God is going to give them. And so he shows him all of Naphtali. Look verse 2. The land of Ephraim, Manasseh, the land of Judah, as far as the west, the western sea, Negab and the plains, that is the valley of Jericho and the city of the palms as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to your offspring. And I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to go over there. You're not going in. This is where the Abrahamic covenant comes into play. He had already mentioned that I promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what is this Abrahamic promise or covenant that all families of the earth would be blessed and all families of the earth would be blessed ultimately as history transgress, uh, transpires and as it goes through uh, the motions of history Messiah rises up in the world and we sit here today as being recipients of the all families of the earth being blessed through the person of Jesus this is portion of the Abrahamic covenant here is the place, if you look on this map, where Moses would have stood. And I've got it circled. On this mountain, somewhere in that circle, on that Mount Moab, Lord, uh, the Lord would have Moses climb up and he would look over, as to look over towards Jericho. And all that land over there, the Lord would say, you could see as far as Dan. And he was able to see things that the Lord... and promises that the Lord set before him. He was able to see it with his own eyes. And, and I reflected upon this last week, and I think that the, the words of John Wesley, the Wesleyan uh, reformer, who said these words in reference to Moses climbing up that mountain. He said, when he, that is Moses, knew the place of his death, Mount Moab, he cheerfully mounted a steep hill to come to it. He said, those who are acquainted well with the other world are not afraid to leave this one. When we know where we're going, when we know the treasure of heaven who is Jesus, it makes leaving this world a little easier. It makes seeing the finish line that says, thou good and faithful servant, enter in. It makes it that much easier. And here's Moses climbing up knowing that the Lord is there with him. 
And he does so cheerfully. I'm sure there was some maybe sadness there. We don't know because we don't know the mind of Moses here. But he accepted the righteous pronouncement of judgment from the Lord. Some have stated that God had given Moses this supernatural sight to be able to see all the lands that he would inherit. When the Bible tells us, plain and simple, that his eyes were undimmed, and that he had vigor in his life, he had, he had, he had felt health. And so God protected him. He gave him those things to sustain and to help him in the ministry. God could have easily strengthened his eyesight in order to see. But I certainly see this interaction not so much as the supernatural leaning of his eyes being able to see. But this is an interaction, an intimate moment between God as creator and Moses, his creation. This is a moment of God's tender mercy. That even in Moses' mess, that God is still going to give him a glimpse. Even as we mess up in life, God is still merciful. Even as we have sinned almost every day, God hasn't wiped us off the face of this earth. This is a moment of God's tender mercy. And I would imagine if you would survey your life every single day, you would find those glimpses of God's tender mercy at every moment in your life, every day of your life. Even in our mess. Moses was the good leader. I mean, he was the kind of leader who wanted to see his people prosper in the future. Even as he knew that he would die soon. You know, people, in order to make sure that their families are taken care of, they will leave insurance policies, they leave wills, they make sure that their estate is in order. So their families can handle their expenses when they die, when they pass on. Make sure their affairs are, are taken care of. You know, we as Christ followers, we also leave insurance policies of, of sorts. We leave things for the future to make sure that the Lord will be honored and glorified. We see these policies, if you will call them policies, we see this insurance every time that we look out and we see a child, every time we see a baby, every, si every time we see a, a teenager, every time that we, we, we see a person who commits to following Jesus wholeheartedly, or when a person says that there is a potential mission field here, send me. Those are our policies for the future, if you'll call them that. That is what the legacy we leave. Do you, like Moses, look over the kingdom of Christ, which is represented here at Piney Grove in this local assembly, and do you see a flourishing future? Do you see a flourishing future? Let me rephrase this. Do you care more about the future of the kingdom? Or do you care more about whether Pontiac gets glory? Do you care about the future of the local church? Let me give you some words of advice. Let me give you some words of assurance. Even in our tradition, even in our preference-driven things that we put our hands on and don't let go, let me give you some assurance, okay? 
Because I echo from the words of Jesus to the Apostle Peter. When the Lord said most, most famously, addressing Peter, He said, And I tell you, you Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you care for the future of this church? Finish well. Here's Moses. He's looking out and he, he's knowing that there will be many obstacles. The Lord had already given prophecy. He'd already given a pronouncement, a forecast that, that, that there's going to come a time in their history when these people are going to turn their back on God. And God, he's going to judge them, but he's also going to be merciful. And Moses, he knows. He has looked out and he knows that there are obstacles. And yes, there are obstacles facing you and me today. There are obstacles that faces the church, not just inwardly, but outwardly. There are obstacles before us today. And what are we going to do to secure the future of this local body of believers? What would God have you do to secure the future? Now we know that God secures the future. It is God's work. But He's, He has called us as disciple makers. He has called us to have part in kingdom growth. And what are we going to do to secure this future? You know, earlier I pulled out a map. I'll show you. There it is of Mount Moab where Moses, he stood and he looked out. You know, we've got to do the same. Not on Mount Moab, mind you, but we've got to do the same. We have to look out. We must look out and do the same. We as a church... We must always self-evaluate. We must always self-evaluate and look at the landscape of the church and ask these crucial questions. Are we doing this ministry for the glory of God or for the glory of Piney Grove? Is this for God's glory? Speaking of maps, there is an interesting map on display at the British Museum in London. It, it is an old mariner's chart. It was, it was charted and drawn in 1525. And as you can imagine, there's some areas of North America that were uncharted at the time that was adjacent to the North American coastline. The cartographer who, um, who mapped this out, who drew this out, uh, he made some notations in some areas that were unexplored. Okay, so over in one area, he wrote in this region, he said, here be giants. There's giants over here. And over here, there might be some fiery scorpions. Sounds like a fantasy novel in a way. Over here might be some scorpions. And over here, here's some dragons. Eventually, the map came into possession of one Sir John Franklin, a British explorer in the early 1800s. And he got the map and he looked over the map. And uh, people of, uh, that collect uh, items of antiquity would probably cringe a little bit. But as he got the map, he began scratching out all of those fearful inscriptions. Here be giants. He began scratching out. Here be fire, fiery scorpions. And here be dragons over here. He began scratching them out. And he wrote across the map in big letters, Here is God. 
Here is God. Very reminiscent of Andrew Kuyper's words when he said, There is not one square inch of the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Mine. And he says the same thing for this church. And so as we self-evaluate, remember, God is here. The triune God is here. So two questions. you care of the future of the church? Secondly, where do you see God working? Where do you see God working? Because I don't know about you, but I want to reach that goal. And I want to look at that line, that finish line, the goal. And I want it to say, Thou good and faithful servant. Thou good and faithful servant. Servant, I would imagine that there are no sweeter words to echo in the ear of those who are in Christ. Where the Bible tells us, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Such sweet words those would echo in our ears as we see Christ face to face enter in, my good and faithful servant. So just like examining our hearts and asking for our care of the future, and do we care for the future? So we now ask, what kind of servant are you? What kind of servant are you? And I've asked myself this question, are you a giver or are you a taker? Am I a giver or am I a taker? Look at the remainder of chapter 34. The Bible tells us, Moses died, servant of the Lord died there in Mount Moab, according to the word of the Lord. The Lord could have easily prolonged Moses' life, but because of Moses' anger in the land of Zen, some translations say sin, the Lord carried out this sentence. It's not because of old age that Moses died. Again, the Lord could have prolonged his life so that the word of God might be true. So the Lord took Moses. Notice in the next verse it says, And he buried him. Who buried him? Would it be God that buried Moses? God took care to lay to rest his servant himself? In the valley in the land of Moab opposite of Beth Peor? No one knows the place to this day it says. It is not an enigma that Moses had died and everyone will die and face judgment. It is appointed that a man wants to die and then comes judgment. But what is the big deal with the mystery of Moses' burial place? No one knows it, as the Bible says, even until this day. The one thing I will ask you to consider is this, that the Jews during this time were superstitious in some ways. Even though God called them out, and even though they were to be God-fearers, they still had superstitious leanings. And in order to keep them from venerating Moses or even worshiping him, the Lord hid his place of burial. Listen, if they will make an idol out of their earrings and gold and make a golden calf to be sure that they would venerate one who led them through the wilderness. Jude 1 verse 9 talks about the body of Moses and how the devil, Satan, contended for the 
the body of Moses. No doubt the enemy, Satan, wanted to stir up division amongst his people. Presenting the body of Moses and they would venerate and they would probably worship him somehow. Put him in a place where Moses would get the glory and God would not. Verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died and his eyes were undimmed. And his vigor unabated. Did Moses set the bar for being a good servant of the Lord? In some way he did. Jesus is the ultimate bar for good, a good servant. In fact, you will find no better representation of what it means to be a servant than the Lord Jesus. And some would say that Moses is a shadow of Jesus to come. And even so, it is a small shadow, but a shadow nonetheless. Being a good servant would be loving and worshiping the Lord Jesus and growing in Him and loving and fellowshipping and caring for others. So let me ask you this again. Do you put others first? Are you a giver or are you a taker? Do you spend more time on others than you do yourself? Now how do we know that Moses made an impact as God's servant? How do we know that Moses left a legacy? How do we know that Moses finished well? Well, the Bible tells us. It tells us by the reaction of the people. In verse 8, it says, The people of Israel, they wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. The days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. Joshua, the son of Nun, rose up, was full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. He was ready, for Moses had laid his hands on him and, and in a way ordained him to take his place as God ordained it. So the people of Israel, they obeyed him and they did as the Lord had commanded Moses to do. Now, seven days was the normal day for mourning in those days. But for persons of high rank, such as Moses or the patriarchs, someone of high eminence, if you will, it was extended to 30 days. Now, the mark of a faithful servant is, as we see here, that the person is greatly missed and that they are a steward of the things of God, a good and faithful steward of the things of God, and that he, Moses, passed on his knowledge to another person who would take his place. So think about that in your life. Is there someone who has made an impact in your life who's either passed on or now? Maybe they have passed on and you're, you're sad to see them gone because of their godly influence in your life. Serving Jesus entails a lifelong commitment to seeing people grow in their faith. It takes a commitment. It takes being committed. It takes replicating what we have learned from others. I don't just want to hear this word this morning just so I can store it somewhere in my storehouse just so I can get information. I don't want to sit under preaching and I hope you don't want to just sit under preaching and teaching just so that you can get a lot of information and go out and say, I learned a lot of things today. I hope that we learn and want to put it into to action. How to live it out. See people grow. And get this, you never get, you're never too young or too old to walk with the Lord to be a good servant. You're never too young, as far as in your faith, or too old in your walk with the Lord to be a good servant of His. So finishing up, it says, There has not arose a prophet since 
in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He saw, we can go back to, to, uh, to the mountain experience in Exodus 20 through. There's none like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all of his servants and to all his land, for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of, of Israel. This terror is just, would be another way of saying mighty things that, mighty, that, that Moses did. Moses did some great things in the Lord. And all of the works would point to someone who is greater, who will take on the sins of the world. Yeah, we would say Moses is a great character in the Bible. And we say that he lived a, he a life that exemplary, except for that one little moment in his life. But there's coming one in the world who is without sin, who is without fault, who would take the sins of the world upon himself. So far, we've seen Moses contend with the people who are sometimes hard to get along with. And he ultimately lost his life because he got angry and he sinned. He didn't trust God in that one moment. He led the people of God to the very threshold of the promised land. He led them there. He was faithful. He was caring. He cared for his people. Their unbelief, their distrust in God made Moses angry and he sinned. Now, I don't know exactly what Moses was thinking when he looked over and he, and he saw the land that was promised to his people because the Bible doesn't dictate Moses' thoughts. And we don't want to put thoughts into Moses' head if the Bible doesn't tell us that. But I can imagine if we looked into the mind of Moses that we would find a servant of the Lord who loved his people and he wanted them to trust God at every turn. That's my prayer for you. Is that we trust God at every turn. And that you would be a good and faithful servant. That we would be a servant to the word of Jesus. That we would serve him well. That we would finish well. You know, this past week I, I read a, a small story, a narrative about, a, about the life of a man named Jimmy Small. Donald Whitney tells of Jimmy Small in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Whitney says this, he says, When I think of a faithful witness, a willingness to serve, I remember a quiet little man from a church where I was a staff member. On Sundays, Jimmy would arrive always before everyone, and it went unnoticed. He would come long before anyone else did. And nevertheless, he would burrow his old car into an ob obscure corner of the parking lot so that he would leave the best parking spaces for others who would come that day. He unlocked all the doors, he got all the bulletins, and he waited outside. When you would walk up to Jimmy, he would give you a smile and a bulletin. But Jimmy could not talk. He couldn't speak. He was embarrassed when newcomers would come and they would ask him questions. Something had happened to his voice a long, a long time ago. When he says, when I met him, he was into his 60s and he was living alone. When he experienced car trouble, which was often, he would, wouldn't let anyone know about it. and He would walk more than, more than a mile to the church. It was because of his vulnerability that he was robbed and beaten several times, at least twice, during the three years in the church. Some long-time church members 
told me that they suspected that he lost his voice as a result of being beaten years before. And now extensive arthritis has stooped his shoulders, preventing him from turning his neck. It made, uh, made hard work of, of simply unlocking the doors and handing out the bulletins. But he was always there. He was always smiling, even if he couldn't speak a word. And everything about his life worked to keep him unheralded. And in the background, even in his name, Jimmy Small. I want to be like Jimmy Small. Serving Jesus because of the joy of it. Because it is joyful to serve the Lord. Or like Moses, because he loved the people and he was faithful to them all. Above all, I want to serve Jesus, who outshines Jimmy Small, who outshines Moses. I'm going to leave you with these words. Hebrew 3, verse 5 and 6. Hebrews is the pinnacle book, I think, on the supremacy of Jesus in light of the cloud of witnesses. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So let me ask you again. Do you care of the future of this local church? Do you desire to be a good and faithful servant to King Jesus?